Hey guys, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the uh, podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaigns. I am Zach, and sitting across from me is my co-host Micah, and today we're going to do a short little episode on the Furbolg. Furbolg is a playable race found in Bolo's Guide, and Micah, what can you tell us, just an overarching summary of the Furbolg as a race? So these guys are giant kin, similar to Goliaths, but more nature-focused. Think almost giant elves uh, a little bit. These guys, very much at home in the forest. You see a lot of them become druids. They get a lot of abilities that allow them to communicate better with nature. And for the most part, they're actually pretty gentle despite their size and their strength. You will very rarely see any of these guys that are evil aligned. They're really just there to live as one with the land, take only what you need, and kind of just live in harmony with everything else around them. Yeah, it's interesting in that in a previous edition, in fourth edition, they were actually classified as fey as opposed to giants. Um, Now before that, in third and so forth, they were, they're back to being giants again. But for a brief moment, they had a fey background. They are giant kin, but they're considered to be the most intelligent of giants, and other giants despise furbolgs. They see them as evil abominations that are diametrically opposed to to the giant way of life. They don't worship giant gods. They have a code that they live by. If you read some of the added flavors, this code is like a pamphlet that they each one carries around and that they Kind of, it's almost like a code, like a oath of a paladin or something like that. It's something that all furbolgs commit to, and if if you break any part of it, then you become an outcast if you're not executed. These guys also don't really believe in names. I have one who, uh, in our current campaign, who is just a caretaker of a grove. So he was just known as the caretaker from most people who he interacted with when they needed a name to call him because that's the thing he did. But when they are within other intelligent races that use names more often, they pretty much allow them to just call them whatever they want. They feel like that the the races that need names kind of just make up the names as they need, but they'll typically go by something elven if they have to have something. So their stat boosts are plus two wisdom, plus one strength. Like you said earlier, druids are a big part of their society. If you dive in a little bit more, I think there's even a little blurb on the side of the list there that kind of talks about what classes these pair well with. Druids, rangers, and fighters are the ones they recommend. I would say also, I know that they don't typically worship deities, but, you know, the big part about these are that they are adventure. If you're playing in a party, you are an adventurer, which means you're not the typical furbolg. So I think... A nature cleric could be interesting. The lowest of the low. The lowest of the low. A nature cleric would be would be an interesting choice. If you're staying with the nature side of things, um, a paladin with the Oaths of the Ancients could be a really cool furbolg. That would be a little bit interesting because you don't typically see them in armor. And so that would be a change of pace for them. And then also, if you kind of want to tie back to their fey pseudo roots, you could do like a fey warlock 
which would be, I think it could fit well, and it would definitely give you a unique flavor without going too far outside of what a uh, furball could be. I think obviously rogues are always fine with everything, but if you're talking about wanting to kind of hearken on that nature aspect, I think the cleric, the druid, the ranger, the fey warlock, and the ancient's paladin can all get you there. I think those are all really solid. As far as what these guys bring to the table, they're pretty cool. They've got a lot of pretty neat abilities that actually give them a surprising amount, I feel like, of utility. Uh, one of which I think can come in more handy than you think is their speech of beast and leaf. Yes. You have the limited ability to communicate with plants and animals. You don't gain the ability to like actually have a conversation. You don't understand what they're saying, but you can influence them using your persuasion to maybe convince them that you're not a threat, that you're just moving through the area, maybe to try and help them out, tell them that they need to get out of the area, there's danger coming. Or even conversely, to get them to try to help you if you can kind of convey, like, this is a danger to you as well. One, we had a weird instance in your game. We found out it was a little bit more sinister than we originally thought, but there's these strange roots coming down in the cavern that were almost alive. And I was able to have a limited conversation with one of them through squeezing my arm in a general just yes or no type of thing where I asked it questions and tried to figure out what was causing the issues. Turned out it was definitely luring us into maybe a little bit more of a trap to try and suck the life force out of us. It was a form of blood magic. But it was a kind of a cool moment where I got to communicate with these roots that yeah. were coming down from the ceiling. It's interesting. It's an interesting take on the on the ability. You know, druids have all sorts of things like that. And I think that, and rangers, but um, I think that this is fascinating because it's a one-way street. I think the limitation makes it, to some extent, more fascinating. And I, I love when it's used in the games. I love the idea of it. And it feels thematically right that you're that you are trying to communicate with this thing that that you're so in tune to nature that even though there's no magic being traded back and forth, you can just express in your own way things that then nature can pick up and react to. Yep. I, I really like this. And again, I think it's more useful more often than you would maybe expect. especially navigating anytime you've got to go through any sort of woods, things like that. You could even use it to help maybe find a better trail, have the the grass or the bushes maybe part their leaves in such a way that kind of directs you towards a safer path. These guys also get another really cool ability called Hidden Step. It's a bonus action, and they can turn invisible until the end of their next turn particularly fun if you are playing a druid so you can turn invisible and then turn into a beast in preparation for next turn i got to line up a good giant elk trample by turning invisible and kind of moving out from the melee uh, to prevent a guy running away with an important artifact we needed invisibility you know like some things that races get don't quite measure up to something that's that's gonna be useful every session i think for instance of like elves not being immune to charm or something like that okay that's great it's very powerful when they need it when they need it but you always can use this invisibility thing and the fact that it's a bonus action which is nuts well even if you don't even use it to hide for a turn maybe you just bonus action to get yourself advantage on an attack that turn 
Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about what does playing a furball or having furballs in your party mean for your campaign? So I'm currently playing one. I I try to take a very quiet, active approach in the party, stepping forward when I feel like it's necessary. And I try to play off of the wisdom aspect that they have kind of maybe a little bit more of a quiet observer. I don't like getting into the politics of everything, but I want to make sure that the decisions made are going to be beneficial for everyone. And that includes the world at large. Yeah. And anyone who despoils that, I do have a very deep hatred of. We recently found a blood magic artifact that I was pretty strongly against. Yeah. I told my party very bluntly that I was fine if they use it, but if they ever take unwilling blood from someone to power it, then they are on a path that I cannot abide and I will have to destroy them. Yeah, exactly. I think it almost is going to, it's going to make your party lean a little bit more good, a little bit more towards nature. And, and you know, another part of it is if you think about monks, and which this says that the, the book says that monks and furbolgs almost never are the same thing. Like they hardly ever take that route, which I find a little bit strange. But with monks, the hard thing as a DM is always, what do you give them? What do you give a monk? Because they don't, they can't use hardly anything. In the same way with furbolgs, they hate wealth or they don't care about wealth. I, I gave up a lot of stuff we found so far just because I didn't feel like it made sense for him to care about. Yeah. And I mean, every Fulvog is unique, and I don't want to say that you can't love shiny things if you play this, but, but if you're sticking to the essence of the race, I think that know going in that that you're going to be very limited in what your guy takes on, and also as a DM, know that you're going to have to work extra hard, to some extent, to give that Fulvog character some interesting items that they don't just, you know toss over their shoulder like Luke Skywalker. So, so yeah, that's just kind of my quick thoughts. Um, I think that there are certain types of races and there are certain types of classes that when they come into a party, drastically change the mindset, overall mindset of the party. Well, and it changes my overall mindset of how I would normally approach a situation. We're in the middle of, well, we were in the middle of a pretty dire war situation being surrounded by these Wanti that were taking over this forest and several other things. And my my character, that was his home. His main goal is to protect his home. But at the same time, I had to think about the greater good and the best way to accomplish that. And at one point, as really people were being cut down around us, I had to just bow my head and I gifted Longstrider to the horse pulling our cart so that we could more quickly and safely make it out of there because the only way to combat that was to survive and live another day and hopefully be able to yeah. marshal our strength and come back. And that was a that was a very difficult decision for me. I was almost ready to jump off that cart, sacrifice my character for the protection of this forest. But ultimately, he had to do the smart thing. And if he wants to restore balance, he needs to be around to help ensure that it's done the way it needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it. Like I said, this is going to be a shorter episode, but um, we kind of wanted to touch on these. Um, Again, this is a class or a race that 
is getting a lot of attention and I think it's because it's unique and there, there there's some there's some interesting aspects to it so we wanted to kind of touch on those and give you guys some added ideas so that when you go to make your first fur bulk you you know what your options all right I guess we will see you then next time and thank you for joining us later